0: Welcome, Watchmen. I am the Paladin Preacher with Peleus Men's Ministry. Let's jump into tonight's topic. Are you ready? Let's begin. We pick up tonight as part three of our health discussion. Now, we discussed in previous episodes, episodes four and episode five, as it relates to health in the current climate of Christians today. And there are a number of topics which I hope to share regarding the current climate of health among Christians. These are my own observations and interpretations of Scripture regarding the topics of health. My goal in writing is to offer a different perspective for Christians trying to further their walk in Christ. I offer my argument for why we should be approaching health in a new way based on my interpretations of Scripture, new discoveries in health sciences, and a mutual understanding that Satan's goal is to destroy God's creation and sever our relationship with our Creator. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 1 Peter 5.8 You're probably wondering why and how somebody would write a paper on such a controversial topic within our culture. Well, it started with a simple question. Does Scripture say anything about diet and health? I honestly didn't didn't understand or didn't know. This paper began as an accumulation of notes and annotations of Bible verses while listening to the Bible cover to cover throughout the course of a year and ten months, listening specifically for verses regarding health, diet, consumption of meat, and different types of food and nutrition. When I finally finished my read-through, I went back through my notes and something began to percolate from the information I had gathered. I can't say exactly how or why this was put on my heart to write the paper, but I I definitely felt commissioned by the Holy Spirit. In the same way this seed was planted in me to share with you, I hope this small seed can be a continual presence, which grows to glorify God's kingdom and ultimately makes a larger impact on the body of Christ, if it be His will. Now, in the previous couple episodes, we talked about how, as watchmen in Christ, it is our duty to hold one another accountable in all things, including diet and exercise. Yet it seems the world focuses more on health and fitness than Christian men. Men's morning Bible studies begin with donuts. Men's afternoon Bible studies consist of pizza and soda. Men's retreats have seemingly endless supplies of comfort food, and men's monthly breakfasts are near an all you can eat buffet of mainly unhealthy options. After God said all is acceptable and safe to eat, have we misused God's gift to us? So, we had previously discussed the different types of consumption, as well as when the Bible talks about a dependence on meat, it is more often than not made in connection to. Uh, circumstances of either death or disconnection from God. I discussed the importance of upholding our bodily health so we may have the strength and fortitude to carry out the challenging calling God has for us. We looked at common arguments used to justify the way we eat within Scripture and new ways of looking at the same Scripture and trying to uncover deeper meaning within. In addition, a topic often not shared of as heavy importance, which is fasting, but as soldiers in Christ, we believe God created all things, and when He created all things, nothing was outside of His understanding. So therefore, I share the recent widespread changes across the secular medical industry due to their discoveries which have only been possible because of divine intervention. So, we discussed what it looked like to consume certain things, whether it be our heart, whether it be through what we see, or through what we hear, or what it is emotionally, and then we also discussed the importance of fasting and how fasting has a beneficial effect not only on our health, but also on our spiritual walk with the Holy Spirit, because it is biblically based. We also talked about how in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis chapter 1 through 4, we, d- we learned about Adam and Eve and the fall, and that the only reason that death actually enters the world is because of the fall. And without death entering the world, there would, no, there would be no consumption of meat because we had everything and anything we could have ever wanted as far as food, as far as needs within the Garden of Eden. But because the fall did occur, the sin entered the world, death entered the world, and then because of the first animal being killed by God to be used as um, concealment or as clothing, we see the second form of death enter in Scripture when Cain kills Abel. And then a continuation of death throughout Scripture and throughout um, our human history was because of the fall. So, I believe it is our duty to put the body of of Christ first, as well as putting the health of the body of Christ. The collective health of the body of Christ is reflective of the individual bodies making the whole. We are choosing to place the Trinity first, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Therefore, the temple of the Holy Spirit outranks our body, because our bodies do not belong to us. Our life is not our own. Lord, I know the people's lives are not their own. It is not for them to direct their steps. Jeremiah 10.23 We saw this said again in 1 Corinthians 6.19 Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? So we discussed previously that we are the stewards of this body and what that body looks like, how it can become a fortress. And when it is a fortress— We thought of what we believed um, signified a fortress in our minds, but then we also discussed the element of building a sustainable fortress that the Holy Spirit could dwell in. Uh, My reference was the Temple Mount uh, that was built by King Solomon um, by the will of King David. And then we also talked about how Satan is waging a war of attrition and siege warfare on our health, because if he can take us out through our diet and through um, poor uh, sustainability efforts to maintain the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is our bodies, then he ultimately is taking us out of the race to carry out the calling that God has set before us. So if you're just picking up with us for the first time, I do encourage you to go back and listen to those previous part one and part two to kind of give you a little bit of extra context as to what, in addition, we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, It will just give you a little more context as of my earlier arguments and how that has been developing over the course of these couple episodes. And then tonight, I want to go ahead and pick up uh, at part three and then we'll continue through some of my arguments here. I'll try and cover as many of it as I can tonight, although I don't know if I'll be able to finish um, all of the context that I have here and the research that I have. But if not, we'll go ahead and uh, do a part four to go ahead and wrap everything up. But I'll try and cover as much as I possibly can this evening uh, so that I don't belabor the, the health topic. How do we justify the way we eat today based on biblical references? I'd like to take a moment and address a few of those verses and dive deeper into the original text and determine what the original text were referring to and how the new translations of the Bible have caused some confusion, as well as has become the basis as to why most people say we should allow people to eat what they want as long as they are following God's word. First of all, I think it is important to know that when the Bible is saying we should do something— Opposed to when it says it is acceptable to do something. Christians take this as a scapegoat to say God says to do something, when in fact it had to do with the Old Testament laws for cleanliness. Romans chapter 14 verse 20: "For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense." That was in King James Version, now for the NIV Version. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. The original Hebrew text of Romans 14.20, arguably all of chapter 14, refers to the Jewish tradition of not being able to eat animals declared unclean by God through the laws of Moses. Now, God is saying through the Apostle Paul not to divide his church on this teaching, to unify the church because, it has, because God has made everything clean. From the Greek, kathara, translated to acceptable. Romans 14 is not referring to it as being healthy or good for our body to consume these things. Therefore, with modern science and technology, we can deduce what healthy is for our bodies, even though it is permissive to eat or it is clean to eat all these things under the law during the time of Paul and the Romans, written in late 55, early 56 A.D., or approximately 56 to 57 A.D., Furthermore, we see another reference to the same scenario in Acts, when Peter has a vision, and it is initially unclear what it means, but as the story unfolds, it is made clear, which is counter to the initial assumption the reader has at the onset of the vision. So go ahead and join me at Acts chapter 10, verses 11 through 16. I'm going to read it through the NLT version. If you guys have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn there with me, and we'll go ahead and pick up on Acts chapter 10, verses 11, and we'll read through verse 16. He saw the sky open up, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice came to him and said, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, declared Peter. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Now, we're going to skip ahead to Acts chapter 10, verses 17 through 22, where the Holy Spirit or the angel actually explains this vision to Peter as to what it actually means. So, picking up at chapter 10, verses 17. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? They said, We were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout and a God-fearing man, well-respected by all Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that you can hear his message. There is a high likelihood Peter knew and remembered the story of the Rechabites who refused to drink the wine Jeremiah offered them according to the instructions of the Lord, and how the Lord used this as testimony against the men of Judah in Jeremiah chapter 35, verse 1 through 19. The Rechabites didn't give in to temptation, and neither does Peter. In the same way, Peter's vision isn't meant to be taken literally. God wasn't cleansing unclean animals and making them clean, but referring to the Gentiles as reptiles on the clean white sheet, the same Gentiles whom God would deliver at the door looking for Peter in just a few moments. This has nothing to do with the literal meaning of killing and eating all the animals of the world. There have been many commentaries regarding this vision through the centuries, and i I would research the different perspectives on your own time, but for the sake of brevity, I've included an excerpt from the 1857 commentary called The Commentary of the Old and New Testaments by Reverend Joseph Benson regarding Acts chapter 10 verses 11 through 14, Peter's vision, and for and this is for additional perspective. So this will be uh, an excerpt from Reverend Joseph Benson. <clears throat> Acts ten eleven through 14 And saw heaven opened, while he lay in a trance, the heaven appeared to be, an, to be opened above him, to signify the opening of a mystery that had been hid, and a certain vessel, or utensil, here used, extends to all sorts of instruments and every part of household furniture, of which we see in Acts 9.15. Descending unto him as it had been a great sheet, a great linen cloth, or wrapper, an emblem of the gospel, extending to all nations of men, knit, tied, at the four corners, not all in one knot, but each fastened, as it were, up to heaven and let down to earth, to receive from all parts of the world whose... uh, To receive from all parts of the world those that were willing to be admitted into it. Wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts, the net of the gospel was to enclose persons of all countries, nations, and languages without any distinction of Greek or Jew, or any disadvantage attaching to barbarian or or Scythian. Scythian. Colossians 3.11 and there came a voice, Rise, Peter, kill and eat, of what thou seest, without any exception or putting any difference between clean and unclean, the Lord thus showing him, that he might now converse with Jews and Gentiles indifferently, and preach unto the latter, as well as unto the former, the world the word of life, and at the same time intimating That the Jewish Christians were, by the gospel, absolved from the ceremonial law, in which the distinction between clean and unclean meats made so considerable a part. But Peter said, Not so, Lord. I would rather continue fasting a great while longer than satisfy my hunger on such terms. For I see only unclean animals here, and I have never. From my childhood... To this hour, defiled by my conscience by eating anything common or unclean. Hitherto I have kept my integrity in this matter, and I am determined still to keep it. Peter's words speak his resolution still to adhere to God's law, though he has a counter command by a voice from heaven. For he knew not, at first, but the words to kill and eat might be a command of trial, whether he would abide by the sure word, the written law, and if so, his answer, not so, Lord, had been very proper. Temptations to eat forbidden fruit must not be parlayed with, but peremptorily rejected. Reader If God by his grace has persevered us from gross sin unto this day, we should use that as an argument with ourselves to continue to abstain from all appearance of evil. And that's the end quote from Reverend Joseph Benson in his commentary about this vision that Peter has. (laughs) Something else to consider is another reference to a clean white sheet we can draw similarity to, And this is from when Jesus is killed on the cross. It was after they hung him on the cross that four Roman soldiers sought to divide the quality clothes Christ wore. Though they almost certainly were not aware of it, they were fulfilling the prophecy found in Psalm 22.18 where David wrote, they would part his clothes and cast something to see who won which piece. The Roman soldiers took his garments and made four parts, a part for each soldier, and a coat also. But the coat was seamless. For this reason they said to one another, "Let us not tear it. They divided my garments among them, and they cast lots for my vesture, John chapter 19 23, verses 24. When the soldiers wanted to divide Jesus' coat or tunic, they saw it was not a patchwork of pieces sewn together, rather it had no seams, a quality garment that took some time to make. It was the same quality of clothing, woven from top to bottom in one piece, worn by the high priest in Jerusalem's temple. The first century Jewish historian Josephus stated in his book Antiquities of the Jews, that the temple's high priest had to wear a vestment colored blue. This clothing was not made by pieces of cloth sewn together, or even two large pieces. It was one long vestiment that was parted along the breast and back. So the vision given to Peter was in fact a reflection of Jesus dying on the cross, saving the sins of every human being on earth. And the fulfillment of the Roman soldiers dividing his seamless and perfect cloak into four pieces. In this similar way, God was going to use Peter to unite his people and save them. The second component, which I want to talk about tonight, is how the importance of fasting is paramount among Christians, especially among Christian men seeking to become watchmen. We may be doing well when we are well fed but we don't know the true power of the Holy Spirit working within us until we remove the dependence on food and rely on God to fulfill all of our needs. There are over 40 verses in the Bible talking about fasting, yet in my experience at church, why have so few pastors and preachers focused on the importance of fasting? Before Jesus left this earth, he told his disciples the importance of fasting. We can read about this in Matthew chapter 9, verses 15. Jesus replied, Do wedding guests mourn while celebrating the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. As Dr. Tony Evans puts it in his article, The Importance of Fasting, Fasting is the spiritual link between us and Christ, while he is not here on earth with us. We feed the body by eating, but we feed the soul by not eating. Fasting makes the soul a higher priority than the body. That is a quote from Dr. Evans. It gives us the opportunity to realize what we think we desire is to be close to Jesus. Our desire to be fulfilled comes from Him, and not from the things bringing us to satiation in the moment. Fasting removes food as the basis for reliance on God, but it also encompasses the other areas of our life when we can experience a fast, whether it be physical things, material items, hobbies, security, sex, alcohol, or drugs. It all depends on us and where we are with God. How is God calling us to rely on Him during our fast from something? What in your life has been slowly taking over your thoughts and your free moments? Lusting after material things is something many of us struggle with, including myself. Social media constantly beckons me to see what's new, what others have, what I need to do with what I have, should I upgrade my gear, should I buy more of what I already have, or should I buy the latest model? When I was writing this section, I chose to fast so that I could more clearly understand the words God had for me, so I could connect with Him again in a way that I hadn't in a while. It reminds me of the others who relied on fasting to help them recenter their lives in the Bible. In Acts chapter 13 and chapter 14, we see the Holy Spirit coming to the people during their time of fasting. In order to bring forth those whom Jesus had called for his work, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, "Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them." Acts chapter 13 verse 2. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord, in whom they had put their trust. Acts chapter 14, verse 23. Fasting is used time and time again for, t- for moments of sadness or fear. Fasting is used in times of sadness and fear to prevent us from turning inward. We can turn outward to God for guidance. How often do we turn to ourselves and become trapped in our own minds of possible bad scenarios or asking, why has this tragedy occurred? Satan uses these opportunities to tempt us. Satan says, you don't deserve this. Why would God let this happen to you? But through fasting and intimate connection with God, God says, look what I'm going to do for my kingdom through you. We see this connection with Moses when the Lord gives him the 10 commandments. Moses was there with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the 10 commandments. Exodus chapter 34 verse 28. All of the Israelites were fearful down on the mountain. Satan used this opportunity to instill fear, doubt, and mistrust in the people's minds. Instead of fasting and growing closer to God, like Moses, they turned inward and succumbed to their own anxiety of questions. And some of the questions I think they might have been asking were Had Moses abandoned us in the desert? Would he be coming back? We left everything. So how would we survive out here? Is this really the God who delivered us from Egypt? Is God even here with us now? How frequently do we have this same sort of fear, sadness of loss or anxiety, and instead of fasting to grow closer to the Holy Spirit, we get caught up in Satan's pitfalls? The war of attrition is won through the hearts and minds of the Watchmen. We either stay connected to the source which gives us the strength to carry on, or we begin to fall off. Think of how life would be so much easier if we just gave up or went back to the way things were. The watchman who has the resolve to stay in the fight will not be caught in the pitfalls of the devil. This resolve does not come from our strength within. It comes from God alone. As Christians, we are called to join God in our place of fasting in order to wait upon the Lord and let him reveal his great plans to us. Now, when Moses went up on the mountain to receive the commandments from God and the Israelites down below for 40 days started developing that level of anxiety didn't understand anymore why they had left their homes, their jobs, their success, their ability to have food accessible to them whenever they needed it, back home in Egypt. And now they're out here in the desert, and these doubts start seeping in. And we see that when it comes to the boiling point of the Israelites' succumbing to their anxieties of maybe this wasn't the correct God to follow, or they were having cold feet or having doubts as to why they had left everything behind, we see an interesting situation start to develop. Because back when they were living in Egypt, the gods that they were worshipped, they were reflective of certain gods that covered certain aspects of daily life. Now, we do see that the Israelites, because of their doubts, they wanted something to worship. Now, if you're in the desert and you're alone and you're having these doubts and fears and anxieties, what's the likely thing that's going to happen? The likely thing that is going to happen is that they will revert back to what they know. And what they knew was to build an idol of gold, of a cow, and the cow represented the god of fertility and for um, sustainability. And so in their mind, they were starting to realize that maybe the god of the Israelites wasn't the, the real god that they should be following. So they reverted back to the God that they knew that they used to worship in Egypt and that they were surrounded by in Egypt, which was this God of fertility and this God of, of the earth and this God of, of food and labor and sustainability. So that is why they tell Aaron to allow them to build this God of gold, which is the calf, the golden calf. And we see this golden calf pop up a lot throughout Scripture. But the idea is that the pitfall of doubt started seeping in. And once it started spreading like wildfire through the minds and resolve of the Israelites who were away from Moses for 40 days... They reverted back to the thing that they knew how to do, and that was worship this golden calf idol that they had been worshiping for many years and who had cro- probably grown up as children seeing other people worship as the god of fertility, no- thinking, not knowing, but thinking that by building this idol and by worshiping this golden calf, that that would be potentially the true god and they wanted to make themselves right with the true God that was from Egypt. When in reality, we know that Satan used those opportunities to twist the minds of the Israelites and cause them to doubt that they were actually following the one true God. Watchmen, thanks again for tuning into the broadcast. If you didn't hate it, go hit that subscribe button. You can check out our website at Peleus.com. That's Peleus, P A L A E U S.com. We'll see you next time, and remember come one, come all, together stand tall, for the Lord rejoices in uprightness.